quick content warning, everybody. We do discuss thoughts of suicide as well as medical procedures that might make some squirmish in this episode. Welcome to Suffolk Survival Guide, where we are queer to answer your questions. My name is Cheyenne. And I'm Gina. Class is now in session, and today we are talking about health and wellness, specifically for queer people. Gina, do you want to go ahead and talk about, I was going to say what's wrong with you, but like, it's not what's wrong <laughs> with us. It's just what we have to deal with that our society is like, <laughs> actually, you're broken because you have X, Y, and Z wrong with you, and you're not putting into the capitalist <laughs> machine enough, so we need to fix you. Uh, but yeah, so what a health conditions have you had the pleasure of struggling with I would love to give you my medical history um I actually think I've been relatively lucky as Mm -hmm. just a person overall because I didn't need like overall like extra attention when I went to the doctor I didn't need braces I didn't have too many issues I do think that I have some sort of like underlying trauma from one incident when I was really young where they thought Mm. I had either like pneumonia or bronchitis or something. And I remember Mm. being really young and being under chest x-ray machines and being kind of like nervous about it. Mm -hmm. But other than that, I I haven't really had many issues. As an adult, though, I did uh, get diagnosed with a disease that I have a really hard time saying called hydatinitis mm-hmm. separativa, which I might have talked about in Patreon episodes. You've talked about it's it basically. In yeah, it's basically an, an autoimmune disease that makes me get a higher chance of having abscesses and uh, small cysts in areas mm-hmm. that have a lot of hair follicles and sweat and stuff. And I have a lot of like medical anxieties, which I don't know if that comes from something that happened when I did get those like mm. chest x-rays really young, or if it's just because I haven't had to really yeah. go to the doctor much since. So it's like a lack mm. of exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, but those uh, dermatologist visits where I had to get like an abscess strain was very anxiety inducing. Mm. Any mm-hmm. gynecologist visits were very anxiety inducing. <laughs> Getting yeah. my IUD placed and replaced was like horrible. So I'm not like in love with going to the doctor, but mm-hmm. I, I think I do need to talk to my therapist about like why I have all these medical anxieties because mm-hmm. I don't think yeah. I've had that much. Go yeah, well, I think I honestly do. When you were talking, I was like, it's the lack of exposure. So you mm-hmm. like haven't had like I I have a, a few chronic conditions. So I go to the you've I been to, to the doctor, doctor more than me. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you go to like a once a week. More than me. <laughs> yeah. And like my friend's kid just got shots for, I think the first time that she remembers she's like four and she just got mm-hmm. three shots and they had to like hold her down and give her shots. And I remember when I was a kid, they used to have to hold me down because I'd be screaming at the top of my lungs wow. and my mom worked at the doctor's office. So she's like, this is embarrassing. My kid like cannot handle it. And now I get uh, blood work drawn, like every six months ish sometimes more frequently than that and I get tattoos so now I'm fine See, no needles. no no. I get tattoos but needles are different like when I had to it get is, put under to get different. my wisdom teeth taken out yes. I had a full-on panic attack in front of the nurses mm-hmm. like my legs were shaking while I was 
being yeah. put to sleep because I was in my head. I was like, it's not going to work. I smoke too much weed, so it's not going to affect me. <laughs> I was thinking all kinds of crazy things. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I like don't love needles, but there were like certain situations I would like freak the fuck out in. Like I had to have a mm-hmm. spinal tap a couple of years ago and it was horrible. Um, it was really trauma, like traumatizing. Uh, it like lasted a lot longer than it should have lasted. And I was in horrible pain. And then I woke up in horrible pain and I was like screaming in the hospital for pain and they just like, wouldn't do anything. Like I was in, like, I was miserable. I thought it was dying. So like (laughs) probably nothing in my back again, nothing in my lower back. Um, my mom has had to have uh, a needle. Oh, okay. Trigger warning for gore. I know. Gross. I was going to say, I'm already so yeah. squirmish. Yeah. No, my mom has had to have needles go into her eye before. And mm. I, I don't think I could do that. I really don't think I could do that one at all. Like that. Oh, she sounds horrible. At an optometrist's office. And that's like a regular thing she encountered. And I don't think I could do that one. But like, I had a tooth pulled a few, like a month and a half ago. And like, they had to numb my gums and like that wasn't fun but like I can deal with that I don't know so like (laughs) going into my medical history I like got my first surgery when I was really young I was like four I got my tonsils and my adenoids out because I was getting like constant um sore throats and strep throat and then Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think I mentioned this before I was in college and that's when I had to have my hymen surgically removed and I was just telling Mm. my girlfriend about that earlier today and how I like got to see pictures of it afterwards like of your hymen what was your canal yeah (laughs) and it looked like that's exactly what she asked and I was like I don't know a vagina (laughs) like it just looked like a red walls with like of flesh tacked back like I don't wow. know. It's hard. Yeah, it was like a cross shape and then they tack the flaps back kind of deal. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So um, I had that done. And then I, I like skipped over your whole thing. So when I was a senior in high school, I do- got diagnosed with hypothyroidism. So basically my thyroid doesn't work. It, it's very slow. It's called slow thyroid. It's like underactive thyroid. It's basically my thyroid is attacking itself. So that's like a chronic Mm. health condition that I'm going to be on medication forever for and have tried a bunch of different medications and it's given me like chronic fatigue and all these other fun symptoms. And I've also had like anemia and, you know, fun things that pop up. Uh, And then I also have like depression and anxiety partially (laughs) because of these things um, because they're not fun to live with because It's Mm -hmm. not conducive in our society to live in a world where your body isn't 100% productive all the time. Um, And my body has been less than productive my whole life. So it's hard to like figure out how to function in a world where you literally can and it's exhausting. And I don't even have it as bad as other people. Like other people are struggling with it a lot more um, and it's very sad, but I'll get off my soapbox about that. And then when I (laughs) mentioned the spinal tap, that was when I was in the hospital in November of 2021. That was because I was developing Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is like a French name that describes when basically my um, nerves started attacking themselves and dying off. And I like was losing my ability to walk. I like couldn't um, tense my hands, like everything. Oh, yeah, was, you like, talked about like, this at one point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that was like really painful. I was also losing my vision at that point. 
Um, so I was hospitalized for like 10 days and then I had to do inpatient physical therapy and then outpatient physical therapy for that. And I still have like permanent nerve damage and I take like, how many medications do I take every day? Like 15, maybe, I don't know, maybe less. I've like gone up and down my whole adult life. So yeah, I think (laughs) that's a fun little journey into our health issues. Yeah. One of our first questions asked, is there a link to certain conditions and queerness? But I don't think any of ours, aside from maybe certain mental health things mm-hmm. are linked, like uh, none of our physical conditions, I think are linked to queerness. Of yeah. Any kind. I, I was definitely going to say depression, anxiety, mental health, mental illnesses, just because we are in a society, like I said before, that isn't quote unquote made for us and that we find it difficult to exist in in some ways or that society makes it difficult for us to exist in. Um, So I think that causes a lot of depression and anxiety. But I was also going to mention, so I know that there has been some research and overlap done about autism and queerness. And I've heard that before. Also like autism and chronic conditions, like certain, um, I think hypomobility with your joints and I think POTS and IBS, like a bunch of different things that there's like some interlap. And then there also is some interlap with autism and like not conforming to gender or sexual norms um, because, you know, your brain works definitely. So I think that's, where I know about the connection but I couldn't I wouldn't say like correlation doesn't equal causation there like I'm not saying no yeah so uh, I wonder how much of that too is that if you are a part of any social group that is mm -hmm. underrepresented or some form of oppressed in society Mm -hmm. if you maybe are more aware of the fact that there are other ways to live than you know what's under the normativity umbrella Mm -hmm. and so is it more that like their minds are more open to those things because Mm -hmm. of the experiences that they're having um which you know maybe we're decades away from a solid answer and research of these things But I also think because of the history of what queer people go through, anxiety is common among queer people, um, even before we like put a name to it. I think the same Mm -hmm. with depression. I feel like I was depressed because I knew I was different. I didn't even have an answer. And that was part of the depression, like Mm -hmm. when I was in high school and stuff. And I think those things are directly correlated to like queer experiences, but it's not just oh, you're anxiety filled and you have depression. So you must be queer, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it's also not, oh, you're queer. So you're clearly depressed and full of anxiety. Like, I don't know about that. I would, I'd be curious too, to know if there's links between like ADHD and OCD. I have a lot of friends who are queer and have ADD. Mm -hmm. I have not been diagnosed for OCD, but I certainly have had a lot of symptoms. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know, you know, we're not uh, experts on any of these things, so I don't know. But I, I think that a lot of mental conditions could come and have a, an overlap with queer experiences. Mm. Yeah, because a lot of them are like they stem from not only genetics, nature, they also stem from nurture and the society that you're raised in. Mm. So it makes sense that if you are 
outside of what society considers the norm, it might have some long-term health consequences and even benefits if you think about it. But I thought you were going to go in the direction that queer people may have less access to things that would either prevent conditions or prevent the progression of conditions. Because I don't think like health isn't imperative, right? Like being healthy doesn't make someone a good person or a moral person. Like you're still an amazing person, even if you're not healthy. And that's why the fat phobic argument, like, oh, but you need to be healthy if you want my respect. Why don't you just respect that person because you respect them? Why do they have to be quote unquote healthy? What about skinny people who are quote unquote unhealthy? Like what, why is that Mm -hmm. your bar for treating someone with respect? Um, and I think like if, someone is queer and they're not able to access like gender affirming or sexuality affirming providers maybe that stops them from getting help to treat things or to prevent or to you know just get rid of like pain symptoms or unwanted symptoms uh so I think there are like a lot of different things that go into it but also like even if there is that link and we are quote unquote, less healthy than the cishet society, like that doesn't mean anything. Like I, I hate that there's like this pressure to like devalue people because they're not healthy. And it, it all does tie back to the capitalism thing of like, who yep. can be productive members of society. And it's just like, what does productivity mean to you? I actually, I'm reading a book about that right now called How to Do Nothing. Um, <laughs> and it's about like civil disobedience and like doing nothing in opposition to as like a counterculture basically just like existing as you are and not yeah trying hard to go in the opposite direction or whatever so that's my book recommendation for today um (laughs) (laughs) well speaking of some of this overlap um and because I know that with having some of the mental conditions like Mm -hmm. depression anxiety that does often lead to self-harm and self-harm events. Somebody asked, what is your advice for suicide prevention for self and friends, especially with the rise of anti-queer and anti-trans media and movements? I love that that part is a part of this question. Um, Specifically for myself, I have absolutely had depression episodes fueled by being overwhelmed and things in the media. Mm -hmm. So that's a really important aspect, I think, to take into account when you ask a question like this. Yeah. I actually asked my girlfriend for advice on this one because she's a mental health professional. So I asked, yeah, I asked her, brought in the expert for this one. um, And she suggested getting a safety plan together with your friends so that is identifying who is a good person to reach out to when you're having a mental health crisis or who maybe isn't a good person who typically makes it worse. What Mm -hmm. kinds of events trigger these feelings for you and ways that you can like minimize the reaction or even minimize like exposure to the trigger in general. Like if talking to a certain person tends to be very triggering for you, like it's an abusive situation or something and you are able to like distance yourself from them or like have removed yourself and have the choice of interacting with someone that's very triggering for you um that's something that like I would say 
interact with them as little as possible because, you know, you don't want to be triggered in that area. And then um, you can also add in like things that you can do as distraction. Like in my therapy, a lot of the advice I get is learning how to distract and cope and self-regulate because I struggle with all of those things a lot. So I would say look up like safety plan and there should be like templates that you can follow and you can do it with your friends and hold each other accountable. Um, Make sure, you know, like if you notice your friend is starting to get depressed, maybe they're not responding a lot or they're just like ruminating on the things that they tend to ruminate on when they get really depressed. Maybe that's your sign to be like, Hey, do you need to reach out to so-and-so or do you need, like, I know sometimes people will shower in freezing cold water and that's like an anxiety reset button. So like, that's something Mm -hmm. that you could prompt your friend to do. Um, But also it's important to not take responsibility for their mental health and try to manage it too much like you really have to have like good boundaries with that because that's really bad for your mental health if anything happens or even if it doesn't just like trying to prevent it from happening like that's not healthy for you either so that's when you would say like hey I don't have the spoons to have this conversation just at this moment I do really care about you you're my friend could you reach out to you know the next person on the list and maybe we can talk about it later or maybe we can talk about something fun right now I can't talk about this at this moment. So like the list could be friends, it could be neighbors, it could be family members, like there are lots of different people. And at some point you might just have to encourage them to speak with a professional and Mm -hmm. take it a little step farther, um, which I know can be helpful in some situations and unhelpful in others. Not all mental health professionals are created equally, but I think like having a safety plan in, in place is like a good prevention step and then I also just read feeling good the new mood therapy and that like is mostly about cognitive behavioral therapy yeah it's by David Burns it was written in like 1981 or 85 or something it has been updated it was like the the book that popular popularized CBT CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy And it has information about different cognitive distortions and techniques for like minimizing the distortions. And it talks about how our thoughts cause our feelings and not necessarily the other way around. But once we learn how to like basically out logic those feelings, it's easier to like get out of them. Obviously, like using too much logic and not ever feeling your feelings isn't helpful either. But I feel like those are like extremes. Right. And I feel like for me, I like let my feelings control me sometimes so like using methods to be like okay I'm blowing this situation out of proportion like my only option right now isn't to die like I have other options that I can utilize but like in my mind when something bad happens that is where I go to and I feel like a lot of other people with mental health issues especially depression like it goes to like worst case scenario but there are like other steps we can take to avoid that and they had like a really good quote in that book I don't remember the exact quote I should have written it down Um, but basically he said he's worked with so many people who had depression and did not commit suicide and a bunch of people have told him that they now know why they had to live or now they know why like that shouldn't have happened and he was like even if you never figure it out you don't know unless you live like even if you like never realize why you had to stay alive or like get past that period of your life you don't know if you 
end your life like you don't know if you're gonna get to that point if you end your life like you never know like I'm not saying that anyone should endure the suffering that they go through or deserve it or it's like a bigger meaning or anything like that but just saying like there's no way to get to the other side unless you stay the course um and I was like that's powerful I I like that and that's like maybe seems like common sense to a lot of people but as someone who does struggle with depression that was like mind-boggling for me so maybe it'll be helpful to someone else yeah I love um the advice from the expert I love your advice as somebody who has experienced um Mm -hmm. depression my only addition in just being somebody who has sought medical professionals for therapy um my only advice on that Number one, if you are not vibing with that therapist, it is totally okay to go to somebody else. You need to, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, a delicate dance to find the person who's going to work for you. And also do not wait until you're in a crisis to then have to go find that person. I have my therapist, even if you don't see them super regularly, knowing that I have a therapist who's already kind of like knows my background. If anything were to happen, knowing that we're not starting from square one would be a huge help. And if you're in a crisis, the last thing you're going to want to be doing is like looking around, trying to figure out who Mm -hmm. you're going to talk to. Like you want to just be able to have that person. So Mm -hmm. plan ahead. Um, just Mm -hmm. know that you're not, you know, failing by having somebody on standby or anything. It's a really responsible thing to do to have a medical mental health professional that you can call upon if things go in that direction. Mm -hmm. And then there's also like, I know it's not necessarily ideal, but there are suicide hotlines. There's like in my city, there's like a crisis hotline that you can call, um, that you can get assistance with. So there are there are options if you don't happen to have a therapist, but I agree with Gina. You don't want to have to wait four months for a new patient intake appointment right. when your crisis is right now. So right. I would definitely have someone right. kind of like there for you. Um, another question we got was, how do I manage anxiety while being queer and neurodivergent? Well, I wouldn't describe myself as neurodivergent. I do think mm-hmm. that anxiety is ever present in queer people for a multitude of reasons mm-hmm. and in a multitude of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I have for managing my anxiety is an extreme amount of uh, attempting to have self-awareness and a lot of self-talk tracks, which has been developed through going to therapy over years and learning how to use those mechanisms. But it is something where like you have to be aware of your triggers, what you do to counteract them when you're going in anxiety loops. Um, but it's it's not easy because it's a lot. And that's coming from somebody who doesn't identify as neurodivergent. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think it gets easier when you add layers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I do identify as neurodivergent. I have ADHD, but I don't know that my answer is specifically for other neurodivergent people. I think anyone... Um, could benefit from this but again my advice would be to reference the cognitive behavioral therapy techniques Um, a lot of my therapist's recommendations for me when I'm experiencing anxiety is distraction so like doing something that I literally can't think about anything else except the task at hand and then usually once I like I'm done with that the thoughts have like dissipated not always and it doesn't always work but like the CBT techniques like I can figure out when I'm generalizing things or if I'm like 
taking something personally that's personalizing or using black and white thinking or all or nothing thinking like there are so many different cognitive distortions that all of us all of us yeah. that's literally generalizing all of us do <laughs> regularly and it's <laughs> it's like we don't even think about it just because it's so like ingrained in our thought processes and our language and like the stuff that I, I learned about years ago because I've been in therapy for years and I've done group therapy and I was a psych major when I was in college and just you know I've had exposure but like reading that book for some reason it like was a different type of exposure perspective on it for me um but I was like talking to my therapist about it and she recommended the book rewire your anxious brain how to use the neuroscience of fear to end anxiety panic and worry which is by Catherine M. Pittman and Elizabeth M. Carl. I actually started reading that right before we recorded, started recording tonight. Um, so I haven't cool. learned very much yet, but I know a lot of it is biological um, or, or like you can like turn off anxiety biologically. So like sometimes when I'm anxious, I'll breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four seconds, breathe out for four seconds, hold it for four seconds and just do that over and over. And that kind of, like resets your autonomic nervous system and helps you to like relax because when you're anxious usually you have shallow quick breaths and not like a rhythm like that and like I mentioned mm -hmm. earlier sometimes people take the cold water showers or like will mm -hmm. dunk their face in cold water because that like stimulates your vagus nerve and I guess that mm -hmm. has I don't know I don't know all the science behind it and I can't explain yeah. it off the top of my head but that like can help you can do the five four three two one method that's where you look for five things you can I don't know five things you can see four things you can touch three things you can hear two things you can taste one thing you can smell I don't know I never get those right but like something like, like that yeah yeah it's something like that so those are different techniques to I like to change anxiety. rooms or like Ooh. change environments or like taking the dogs on a walk and like mm -hmm. getting outside for a couple minutes like any kind of reset deep mm -hmm. breaths for sure yeah all good coping mechanisms yeah yeah, that made me think the other thing that I do when I have anxiety, I think to myself, will this matter a year from now or five years from now or even five hours from now? Like I do that with I, anger. I usually do a year. Yeah, me too. Like, does this really matter in the grand scheme of things or does it matter to me right now because I'm triggered? Um, and usually it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, which doesn't make it any easier, but it's good for putting it into perspective. No, but on the flip side of that, there has been things where I'm like, am I being ridiculous? Will I still be mad at this in like five years? And there are certain things that happened over five years ago that when it happened, like, no, I'm still going to be mad. And yeah, to this day, I'm still mad. Yeah. So that yeah. also helps me in validation as well. Like, am I overreacting or is mm -hmm. this valid? That's a good like self-check. Yeah. Like once time heals this will it actually still be a problem or was this a temporary emotion? Yeah, that's deep. Sometimes there are like problems. That. Yeah, sometimes they are. We, sh <laughs> <laughs> we should probably take a little break and then we'll come back for the rest of our questions. We are back. The next few questions we have are all sexual health related, which we have an entire episode on sexual health. Two. Oh, yeah. I forgot that it was like a two part because two. we have so many questions <laughs> and we're getting more. So, some yeah. more. 
go back and listen to those, but we're going to answer a few more for you right now. The first one we got is how can I be a responsible sex positive and promiscuous lesbian? I'm trying to have fun while also staying safe. To give a concise answer, I'm going to boil this down to three really simple things. The number one, you know, get tested and use protection. Number two, make sure you're following your and the other person's boundaries or other people's boundaries, depending on who's involved. And number three is like, take care of your body, like Mm -hmm. make sure you're hydrated, make sure that you're recovering and having self-care days and that you're listening to what it's telling you. Like I've always been a very sex positive person, but I also am very pro like taking care of my machine, you know? That's beautifully said. I don't even need to add anything to that one. Um, Another question we got was, can you get an STI from fingering a vagina or butthole? And short answer is yes, you can. I'm sorry. How do you say butthole and not laugh? Am I just butthole? (laughs) I'm just. I mean, maybe I'm just really mature. (laughs) I'm like the most mature, I think. I'm so Um, mature. Yeah. So short answer is yes, you can get an STI from fingering a vagina or butthole, especially if you have any sort of like lesion on your finger, or you could add to like the bacteria that's already in the vagina and uh could lead to BV or a yeast infection or a UTI as well. Yeah, there are there are other uh things that can happen just from a finger going into a hole, especially if they're going back and it's like going back and forth between the two holes. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, make sure you're getting tested using the necessary protection. So gloves, those a finger, finger condoms. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are the main things, but yes, you can get an STI from fingering a vagina or a bowel. So make sure you're tested before you engage in any activity. And our very last question, somebody said they are very confused about the actual risk for passing STIs between two people with vulvas. And in one of our sex ed, queer sex ed episodes, we did say that there are different risks associated with any sexual activity. There's going to mm-hmm. be certain ones that do have a higher risk factor than others. Um, so for example, any kind of penetration is going to have a higher risk than like boob grabbing or something <laughs> that is obviously not. Yeah. Or mutual masturbation. Fluids, right. But it is change. Like you are in some capacity exchanging bodily fluids, whether that's like you know, putting your mouth on genitals, genitals touching each other, even your hand, you know, we just said you can get an STI by, you know, fingering because it's, Mm -hmm. you can't guarantee that there's nothing passing, that there's no openings. Um, Bodies are like, we're just like little fleshy things and we're really fragile Mm -hmm. and we get little cuts and nicks and knacks everywhere. So you just like, are never sure no matter what kind of body somebody has, if you are exchanging sexual things, there's always going to be a risk factor. Mm -hmm. It's different levels depending on the activity, like I said. Um, But it's really important to just be aware that it's um, you're not like risk free just because there's Mm -hmm. a lack of a of a penis involved or something like that. You know, right. Yeah. And I don't know that there are like specific numbers for this sort of thing, but again, we're just emphasizing harm reduction. Uh, So getting Mm -hmm. tested, talking about past or present diagnoses, using any form of protection, not using a finger that has a 
massive cut on it if you have a finger that doesn't have any cuts on it like choose that finger like there are options to reduce the risk of transmitting STIs we cover all kinds of in and outs of STIs in those queer sex ed episodes I think those are really important ones to go back to listen to so Mm -hmm. uh really encourage that but that wraps up uh today's episode so make sure you give a like and a follow and a review and a rating so that we can be seen by more people and you can of course follow us anywhere on social media at sapphic survival guide except for twitter which is just at sapphic survival you should also subscribe to our patreon that's patreon.com slash sapphic survival guide where we have some bonus content and things we always have our email open, sapphicsurvivalguide at gmail.com, but we want there to be multiple ways for you to contact us. So we have created a phone number. And if you would like to call in and leave us a voicemail, we would love to play that on the show and answer your questions. Uh, please note that unless you say otherwise in your voicemail, you are giving us permission to play the voicemail. That phone number is 724 209 8877 and it will be in all of our episode descriptions moving forward so you can find it there if you have some desire to call in in the future and uh for my own socials you can follow me anywhere online at the Libra including my website thelibragina.com and by the time this episode comes out season two will be well underway for um hello so definitely go give that a listen uh wherever you listen to podcasts for your jersey shore recaps and you can find me, Cheyenne, at Hot Mespian on pretty much any social media platform. And with that, class is now dismissed. Bye. Bye.